Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. In the book of Matthew, um, he says, Depart from me, workers of iniquity, for I didn't, I never knew you. There's something so significant about knowing God and being known by God. The whole reason Jesus died was relationship. Amen? I understand he died to fulfill the plan of God. I understand there's that, that that's a very oversimplified statement, perhaps, but I want you to catch the point of it. And the heart of it is you were created for relationship with Jesus. Personal, face-to-face, heart-to-heart worship and relationship with him. That's the reason that our hearts, when we enter into worship and when we, when we enter into that place of true communion with the Lord, that's the reason our heart comes alive. It's because you're doing what, what God made you to do. Amen? Have you ever, have you ever like, um, have you ever built something and, and as you build it and you put it together and you finally get it complete, you turn it on and it just works the way that it's supposed to? You ever assembled something, a, you know, a, an appliance or something, and you, you just turn it on and it just works the way it's supposed to? It's nice. It's a good feeling, right? It's a really good feeling. Matter of fact, it's really frustrating when they don't work the way they're supposed to. And you paid all this money to get this thing and now it's laughing at you, not working. When you and I get into the place of worship where we're heart to heart with God, face to face with him, we, our, our, our heart comes alive because we're like that appliance just working exactly the way we're supposed to. Just doing exactly what we were designed and created to do. We're right in the groove and everything just seems to work. We were created to know God. Amen. And, and if you think about it, in your relationship, in my relationship with Jesus, that is the only part of us that we're taking into eternity is our relationship with Christ. Have you ever thought about that? You're not taking your ministry with you to heaven. Trust me, I'm not anti-ministry, right? I'm a church planter. It's kind of what I do, Right? I'm a pastor, so I very much, I'm, I'm keyed into the ministry. I'm bought into the ministry. There is no plan B, guys, right? But as much as I love being a pastor, as much as I love preaching and ministering to people and counseling and doing all the things that we do, I'm not taking that to, to eternity with me. I am not taking my stuff with me, right? You've heard people say this, you're born naked and alone, and when you... When you die, you might not be naked, but you're just as broke as you were when you came into this world. We're not taking anything with us. The only thing I'm taking with me is my relationship with Christ. It's the only thing in my life that I can grab a hold of that is actually eternal. Wow. That's kind of powerful. Here's here's why that's really helpful. I got this revelation one day while I was talking to my father on the phone and we were talking about something. I'm pretty sure it was unrelated. I don't think it had anything to do with God. But it's one of those moments where you just get something on the inside goes, oh, and you get a little revelation. Y'all know what I'm talking about? A little light bulb goes off. Here, here's why it's so important for you and I to understand 
our relationship with Christ and the fact that it has eternal value. Have you ever felt or thought to yourself, I wish I was farther along in my relationship with God? Have you ever thought that way? Have you ever kind of beat yourself up and been like, why am I not more mature than I am now? So-and-so over here seems to really get their prayers answered, and here I am, I can't, you know, find my way out of a paper bag. I remember talking to my dad that day and realizing that my relationship with God is eternal. Therefore, it has no end date. It has no time frame attached to it. And when you take the restraints of time off of my relationship with God, there is no beginning of it and there is no end to it. I'm perpetually in the sweet spot in my relationship with the Lord. Does that make sense? Is that you following that? My, the reason it's so important for me to know that my relationship with God is eternal is because it has no expiration date. So I'm going to have all of eternity to grow with the Lord. And I'll perpetually be in the sweet spot of my relationship with God. Amen. So Paul says, getting back to verse 10, I got off a little bit there. That I may know him. Now this word know in the Greek is a very important word. And I'm actually going to break down. There's three words for the word knowledge in the Greek that are used in the scripture. And I want to talk to you about each one of them today. Because each one of them is, is a level, if you will, of knowledge. You know there are greater levels of knowledge, right? So there's three different words. The first one, and I'm only going to give you these words just so that you have them as a reference. You don't have to remember the actual, you know, pronunciation or anything. But the first word is the word oida. Oida. If you're taking notes and you want to write it down, it's spelled O-I-D-A, oida. And it comes from the root word idon, which means to see. And I'm, if I'm not mistaken, we actually get our English word I from that original Greek word. So the word oida means to know something by sight. In other words, um, we could use something like the moon, for example. We've all seen the moon, right? When I was a kid, my grandmother used to sing a song to me, I see the moon and the moon sees me, way up high over the apple tree. You all know that song? So I've seen the moon. I know pretty much where it is in the sky. I can find it on on a dark night. But my knowledge and my understanding of the moon is limited because I've only ever seen it. This is the first level of knowledge that the Bible gives us, according to the Greek language. To know by sight. It's very, very limited. The second word is the word gnosko, which is actually the word that Paul uses here when he says that I may know. And the word gnosko, if you want to write it down, it's G-I-N-O-S-K-O, gnosko. And it's the word which means knowledge that's obtained by experience or interaction. It's the Hebrew, it comes from the Hebrew idiom for intimacy between a wife and her husband. You can see immediately that it is a higher form of knowledge than simply knowing something by sight or by mere perception. 
to keep in keeping with our example of the moon, I have seen the moon. I oida understand it. I see it from a distance. A person like Neil Armstrong, however, has walked on the moon. How many of you think he's immediately more qualified to talk about the moon than I am, right? Here's the difference, okay? Here's, here's the thing. A lot of Christians, if, if, we, if we take our relationship with Jesus and treat it cheaply, we'll, we'll only ever oida him. We'll never gnosko him. We'll, we'll, we'll only ever see him at a distance, and, and I'm afraid that there's so many people, even, even good Bible school students and, you know, people who study these things because they want to study the word for an academic pursuit, they can, they could quote more scripture than I can, but they don't know the author. And, and, and the whole point, the whole reason God gave us this precious, amazing book was to bring us into interaction with himself. And so Paul says, my pursuit in life is that I would know him, not just know him at a distance. I don't want to just, you know, see God at Christmas and Easter, you know, wave at him from the back of the church. Hello. I don't want to, I don't want my life to be that shallow with him. I want a gnosko. I want to, I want an interaction with him because the reality is experiential relationship, experiential knowledge of God will always be more powerful than just an external knowledge of who he is. And the reason is because it's only when I experience him that I'm actually changed by him. I come back to Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. The Bible says he's riding into Damascus, or he's on his way to Damascus, and he has this vision of Jesus. And he has this amazing encounter with the Lord. Now, how many of you realize Paul knew who Jesus was prior to that moment? But he really didn't know who Jesus was prior to that moment. You follow what I'm saying? Paul had a, Paul had a distance, a long-distance relationship with Jesus, he knew exactly who he was. He knew the church he was persecuting. It's, it's very, very, very probable from a theological perspective stamp, and a theological standpoint, it's very probable that Paul saw Jesus physically minister because Paul was part of the Pharisaical community. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He had, he, you, know, you heard him say a few verses ago, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He lived in Jerusalem. He would have seen Jesus. He probably heard about the miracles. He probably had a very comfortable oida relationship with Jesus. But it wasn't until he experienced him for himself on the road to Damascus, when he came face to face with, with the light that shined brighter than the noonday sun, as the Bible says, it was only then that he called him Lord he, he has this encounter with him and he's on his face and the light of God is shining. And it's so funny because the guys that are with Paul, they don't see a thing. <laughs> it's wild. That, you know what that tells me? That tells me that Jesus will show up in your world and talk to you the way that you need him to talk to you. 
that'll te- that tells me that Jesus shows up in your situation. Doesn't matter if anybody else around you hears him. All you got to do is hear his voice for yourself. This tells me that Jesus is not, Jesus is meant to be experienced and known personally. It's not just about a corporate experience. I love coming to church together with y'all. I really do. But the best times that I have with him are when nobody's around. It's just the way it goes. So Paul went from having this very um, academic understanding of Jesus to meeting him on the road. And I believe that when Paul wrote these words, that I may know him, that experience has got to be rolling through his heart and his mind. He's got to remember what that light looked like. He's got to remember what it was like to be faced down on this dirt road to Damascus as he writes the words, that I may know him. And what's interesting is we talked about oida, we talked about gnosko. There's actually a third level of knowledge that, if you can believe it, is better than gnosko, and that's the word epignosko. It's the same Greek word, but with the prefix epi, epi, which means down from above. The greatest knowledge that you and I can have is an experiential knowledge that comes by revelation. The word, the prefix epi, is the, it, it, it means that experiential knowledge which comes down from above. The idea is that God, by his spirit, is able to download into your heart this working experiential face-to-face relationship-level knowledge of who he is. It's called revelation knowledge, and it's the greatest thing you can ever experience. Paul, as far as he was concerned, that's how he wanted to know Jesus. He says, I'm not content to just know him at a distance. I have to know him personally. I have to be face to face with him. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. What a prayer. Jesus, kill me. That's quite the prayer. He says, my real desire is to take part in his death. Why, Paul? Well, verse 11 is pretty clear. If I take part in his death, I get to take part in his resurrection. If I, if, I, if I take part in what he did on Calvary's cross, if I, if I become baptized into his death, then I'll be able to be baptized into his resurrection. If I'll partake in his sufferings and in his death, then I'll partake in his life. What an amazing truth. What an amazing thought. What an amazing way to live. What an amazing goal to have. We have so many goals in our life. We have so many, I want this car, I want this house, I want this amount of money when I retire, I want this for my family, I want my kids to go to this college, I want my kids to marry this kind of person, I want this, I want that. I got all my five-year plans all charted out and everything looks great on paper, but what, what might be missing from that? Maybe it's this idea of being crucified with Christ, that I might live with him. You see, this is the reason why over in Galatians, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ now lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
What an amazing thing happens when you and I fellowship with Jesus. Verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained. Now he turns a corner. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected. I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also has laid hold of me. It's a powerful scripture, powerful concept. Are y'all doing okay this morning? Is this helping you this morning? I'm just giving you my heart's thoughts about, listen, I don't have notes, okay? We're just talking, we're just family here, okay? He says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected. He's saying, I have not arrived yet. How many of you people, how many of you know people that just act like they've arrived? <laughs> Anybody? It's like, hey man, look at me, I got it all together, I've arrived. Even the great apostle Paul said, I haven't arrived. I haven't gotten there yet. There's still something that I'm reaching for. There's still something that I'm aiming at. There's still something that my heart says I'm not content until I have this one thing. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Now, I want to go to the press on, but I, I forgot to talk about perfected here. Not that I've already attained, not that I've already arrived. The word perfected in the Greek is the word telos, and that is the word which means finished. It's the word that used to describe Jesus when he hung on the cross and said, it is finished. In other words, Paul says, I haven't arrived, and I've still got stuff to do. I haven't arrived, and I've still got stuff to do. I'm not finished. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not, verse 13, one of the best New Testament verses, perhaps. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I wish every believer on planet earth really understood this scripture, myself included. How many of you know you can always understand more? You can always know more. I, I want to know this. I want this scripture to be playing out in my life in a greater way every single day. Not that I have already apprehended, but this one thing I do. Paul, what is your singular focus? What is the one thing you do in this world? That, that, what, what makes the Apostle Paul the Apostle Paul? Here it is. I forget those things which are behind, and I press towards the things which are ahead. I forget those things which are behind, and I press towards the things that are ahead. I reach forward to the things that are ahead. Here's the problem. And I see, I see this problem so much in my generation and in the younger generations that are coming after me. We seem to have the hardest time letting go of what's behind and moving forward with what's ahead. We seem to have the toughest has yet to come. And here's the reason why we do that. It's more comfortable to live in the past than it is to brave the future. 
It's more comfortable to live in the past than it is to brave the future. The future requires faith. The past requires a good memory. Right? The future requires faith. And if I can just be content to live with my own past, good, bad, or indifferent, I'll, I'll preserve my own comfort. Because all I have to do is be able to remember stuff. And we love doing this. We love to remember the past. Wait, my wife and I just hung pictures last night. We bought some frames for our house and it, dear Lord, it took me forever to get them hung straight. <laughs> it's like a gallery wall. There's nine of them and they're in like this grid and oh my gosh, it was such a pain. But I finally got it. And we hung up pictures of our family and hung up pictures of our kids and not a one of them, well, one of them was a fairly recent picture, but the rest of them are just like pictures. We went back in the past and looked through, looked through our phones and our computers. It took us a month to pick nine pictures because we had 40,000 pictures of our kids we had to sort through. And so we finally picked those pictures and we hung them up on the wall and I stood there looking at them and I was like, man, this is wonderful. And then I turned and looked at my children and I thought, that's more wonderful. You see, I, I, I don't need to cling to the past when I know that God is in my present and in my future. I, I don't need to be restricted only to what has happened when I know that God is just as much here with me as he was with me then. And I know that he's going to be with me just as much in the future as he is with me now because he doesn't change. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the faithful one. He is the, the one, Isaiah says, declares the end from the beginning. He's the time one. He's the great I am, present tense. He is always now. He's always present because he lives outside of time. So if I will put faith and trust in him, I will find it easier and easier and easier to let go of what I was and reach for what he wants for me to be in the future. And I can do that without fear. I can do that without, without worry and anxiety and concern. I can go into my future boldly because I know he's already there. And the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, and he delights in his way. And though he be cast down, he sh or though he be, um, oh man, I'm messing up the, the quote, Psalm chapter 37. Though he be uh, cast down, he shall not be dismayed. I've, I'm, I'm young, I have been young and I am old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Y'all remember that, right? Psalm 37. You quote it better than I can. The point is, he never leaves me. He never forsakes me. He's with me thick and thin. He's with me no matter what I go through. And if you think about Paul, Paul had a past he wanted to forget. Yeah. Some of us glorify our past. I'm a... I'm a I'm a nostalgic person. I like old movies, old music, old ways of dressing, clothing, old, you name it. If it's old, I love it. I'm, uh, I do. I like, I like going to antique stores. It's great. I like all things old. That causes me to be kind of antiquated sometimes. But Paul, he had a past that he wanted to forget. 
So, so for him, it was essential that he learned how to let go. Some of you, you have a past you would love to forget. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, it's just getting good in here now. Amen. <laughs> some of us have, listen, whoo. Some of, some of us, you have, you have something you want to forget in the past. Paul had a list. He listed them all from like verse 6 down through verse 8. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. I was, uh, you know, according to the law, blameless. He had all these memories and gold stars from his time in Hebrew school, and he recognized, I count all of that as junk. I want to forget that. I'll bet Paul wanted to forget that he persecuted the church. I'll bet he didn't want to. As a matter of fact, I know for a fact that he didn't because it says so in the book of Acts. He didn't want to live with that hanging over his head. And he reminds us of that over and over through his writing. He says, when I persecuted the church, I was zealous about it. How is it that Paul could go from being such a wicked, wicked man to being the guy who writes two-thirds of the New Testament? How could that happen? It had to happen because of his encounter with Jesus. It had to happen in that first five words of verse 10, that I may know him. That's where it happened. That's where, Paul, that's where Saul became Paul. And that's where he learned. And just, we have just a few minutes here, and I'd like to close down. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, let me put that in modern English for you. I'm looking at a big target with a big bullseye on it, and I'm aiming for that bullseye. Paul, what is that bullseye? Jesus. Plain and simple. Jesus. I'm pressing toward the prize. What is the prize, Paul? What is the prize of your life that I may know him? <laughs> What's the prize that you're aiming for? What's the goal? What's the bullseye of the target? It's that I may know Christ, that I may know with intimacy, not just at a distance, not just, you know, uh, because I read about him in a book or on a page, not just because I heard somebody else talk about him. How many of you know you'll never be sustained on somebody else's relationship with Jesus? You'll never be sustained on somebody else's revelation. It'll feed you for a moment, but it'll ultimately burn out. I have a, a, a friend who says it this way, it's easy to get warm by somebody else's fire. But until, until your heart comes alive and until you have an encounter with Jesus, you don't have your own fire going. You know what I'm saying? What's the, what's the bullseye, Paul, that I may know him? Jesus is the bullseye. Shoot, Jesus is the whole target right. <laughs> and the arrow and the stand that the target is on. I mean, it's all about him, guys. 
Paul is teaching us a lesson in this passage to remind us that it is truly all about Jesus. That's why he says stuff like, like what he says in Colossians, that, it, that, that all creation was by him and for him and in him and through him. Our Christianity has to be found and in our experience of that revelation. We have got to create a culture in our own lives of experiencing Jesus every single day. You've heard me say this statement many times when talking about vision. It comes up in my heart as I'm sharing with you today. You never rise to the level of your vision. You always fall to the level of your culture. You've heard me say that before. You don't rise to the level of your vision. You fall to the level of your culture. So the vision, the prize is Jesus. Well, the culture of my life has to be Jesus too. If my vision and if my prize is I'm aiming at Jesus, but the culture of my life dictates that I live down here only ever in, in, involved in natural, temporary things, then I will always sink to the level of my culture and I'll never rise to the level of my vision. I may say that I love Jesus and I may have a strong desire to go after him, but until I make him my way of living, until I make him my culture, until everything in my life revolves around him instead of revolving around me, I'll constantly fall and sink to the level of what I permit in the culture of my life. It's good preaching, Pastor Josh. Thank you. I appreciate that. Amen. Yes, thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> no, no, that's a heavy one, though, for real. It's, it's, that's a heavy one you think about it for a moment and it's like, man, I have these grandiose ideas of wanting to chase after Christ, but then I permit all this other stuff to go on in my life and I, I constantly find myself landing and sinking down to the culture of my life, the culture of who you are. What do you think about? What do you watch? What do you read? What do you listen to? What kind of conversation do you have? What are you investing yourself into? Until Jesus becomes the object of my investment of my life, I'll never hit the target. Paul says it. He says, I let go of the things which are behind and I press toward the prize. It, most of us live that life in reverse. Most of us live that verse, rather, in reverse. We let go of what God has for us in the future, and we're stuck holding on to the things that are in the past. I, and listen, I've got good news for you this morning. Your past is over. Your past is over. It's behind you. Oh, sure, you had a bad day yesterday. Sure, you had a bad year last year. Yeah, you listen, you and your wife, you had some troubles. You you got this this close from getting divorced or or you you know, or your kids have turned out in a way that you didn't expect for them to or or things didn't work out the way you wanted to, them to on your job or whatever the case may be. We can go toe to toe and we can compare past to past all we want to. It doesn't matter because it's gone. That's right. It's gone. 
The Bible says that the one that the Son sets free is free indeed. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that old things are passed away and all things have become new. So you're in Christ, man. You're new, perpetually new. It's easy. What am I, ta- what am I saying? Why am I going on about this? Because it's easy to let go of your past when you recognize it's under the blood of Jesus. It, let, let me tell you, if Paul can let go of his past, if Paul can say, I'm letting go of what's behind, you can too. Last time I checked, nobody in this room, as far as I know, has killed another Christian because they were Christians, right? You haven't persecuted your brother and sister in Christ, right? Okay, so then if Paul could let go, you can too. Amen? I can let go of everything that wants to hold me back so that my focus and my prize become one in the same. My culture and my vision become one in the same. I aim at the person of Jesus. He's, he fills my viewfinder. He's everything that I see. You know, we just started our 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm done, by the way, for the most part. We just started our prayer and fasting this, this morning, 21 days. And one of the things that I want to encourage those who are partaking with us either here at the church or at home by themselves in the morning is to take time and pray. I learned this from a man named Larry Stockstill, who is a pastor of a massive church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And he taught us uh, this, this pattern of prayer that he does. He, it's towards the end of the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul says that we might know the love of God the Father the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And he said one day the Lord had instructed him to pray along those three distinct lines and to make a pattern of prayer out of that. And so he talked to us about doing it, so I started doing it. Wow, it's more fun than a barrel of monkeys. I I, I sit there in the morning and talk to the Lord and I start with the Father. And I say, Father, today I'm going to be a recipient of your love. Because that's what the scripture says, that you would know the love of the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So I say, okay, Lord, today, right now, I am going to Father, my Father, I'm going to receive your love and enjoy and experience and be a recipient of your love. Thank you for your love, which casts out all fear. Thank you that your love has been shed abroad in my heart. And I just start to commune with the Father around his love. And then I'll go, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. And I'll start to talk to the Lord about his grace. Lord, I thank you that you are manifested full of grace and truth. And then I'll, and then I'll move over and t- start talking to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I thank you for fellowship with you today that koinonia, that friendship, fellowship, community with you, oh Lord. And and here's what happens when I do that. God fills my view. You remember in Psalm 34 when David says, oh magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I used to hear that verse and get frustrated. I think, how can you magnify God? He's omnipresent. 
How do you make God bigger? You can't. He fills everything. I can't make him bigger. All I can do is zoom in on him more. So when David says, oh, magnify the Lord with me, it's like taking a zoom lens or a magnifying glass. If you ever had a magnifying glass and looked at ants, I remember I got a magnifying glass for my birthday one year and figured out I could light ants on fire with it. <laughs> what a great day. <laughs> and there, and there, this ant that really didn't change size, but to me it changed size because he went from being a little speck to being really big in this magnifying glass and it, it hit me. That's what it means to magnify the Lord. When we're talking about that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, we're talking about getting to the point where you have begun to magnify God in your life to the degree that he fills everything that you see. David, David discovered that secret. The psalmist David, he discovered it. He says, this is all I want, that I would just see you. One thing have I desired that which I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that I may inquire in his temple and behold my Lord. He says, as the deer pants after the water brook, so my soul longs after you. What if we got to the place where we joined with the apostle Paul? We said, you know what? Forget yesterday. Forget yesterday. Forget tomorrow. Forget yesterday. I'm, I'm pressing towards something else. I'm pushing toward this prize. What's the prize, Paul? That I may know him, that he may fill my viewfinder, that everywhere I look, I see Jesus. In every situation, in every problem, in every blessing, in, every, in everything that I find myself in, that I would see him. That's why David says, where can I escape from your presence? Oh, guys, I could keep going. Where could I escape from your presence? If I make my bed in hell, you're there. Why? It's because David had discovered the secret that Paul was talking about. Let me get so close to him that I experience him and he becomes all that I can see. We lift up our eyes. We look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Guys, it's all about Jesus. It's just all about Jesus. Let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.